Hello there. I'm Siobhan McClay, she, her. And I'm Jen Jackson, she, her. This is season two of Embodiment for the Rest of Us, a podcast series exploring topics within the intersections that exist in fat liberation. In this show, we interview professionals and those with lived experience alike to learn how they are affecting radical change and how we can all make this world a safer and more welcoming place for those living in larger bodies and those historically marginalized who should be centered, listened to, and supported. Captions and content warnings are provided in the show notes for each episode, including specific timestamps, so that you can skip triggering content anytime that feels supportive to you. This podcast is a representation of our co-host and guest experiences and may not be reflective of yours. These conversations are not medical advice and are not a substitute for mental health or nutrition support. In addition, the conversations held here are not exhaustive in scope or depth. These topics, these perspectives are not complete and are always in process. These are just highlights. Just like posts on social media or any other podcast, this is just a glimpse. We are always interested in any feedback on this process if something needs to be addressed. You can email us at listener, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, at embodimentfortherestofus.com. And now for today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the second season of the Embodiment for the Rest of Us podcast. (gasps) Yay! Welcome back. Thanks for being here. (laughs) Hi, welcome back. After our incredible adventure, learning and unlearning through embodiment journey stories in season one, we knew we wanted to explore even more nuance, depth, and distinction. I love how we grow together, you and I, as we stay open, (laughs) as we stay open and willing to unlearn. Something that really stood out to me about our first season is in addition to being committed to social justice, being more vocal about it in both podcasts that I do in the work that I do and just in my conversations with everyone, including you. Mm, Yes. Um, It feels, that feels good to hear you say, and my brain and body just echo that with you. Um, as you were saying, um, open and willing to learn, learning and unlearning. I was just thinking about leaning in mm. uh, to where it's going in a social justice direction through actions that build on themselves is not mm-hmm. easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a challenge that I am ready to lovingly do with you also. That's what was sticking out for me. Totally. I feel the exact same way. Mm. And I love thinking about the full content and context of season one as we're sitting here. And something that really stood out to me as we just looking back and also throughout during the process of it is when we started the interviews, especially um, that each person brought their own distinctions about language. Mm. And I want to do more of that. It's a lot like, um, the energy and the drive of social justice and wanting to do it more openly. It's also calling things in or out more openly. It's Mm. renaming things as they feel important in order to reclaim them. Um, And also because so many people that we will be talking to this season support other people, really thinking about 
um, the choice of language that can be used in supporting other people, each other, being in community and communication as human beings, um, and see where that takes us. Um, to challenge that. I would consider that an uncomfortable place in some ways because language can be such a weapon. Mm -hmm. um, language can be um, so powerful for an individual who can harness language for something. Um, and it can also be confusing <laughs> and subvert yeah. and these other sorts of things. And yeah. to just make things clear. Like when I think of call in and call out, it's like, how can we make this distinct? How can we make it clear? Mm. Um, in whatever way we can in these, in the, um, short, in terms of the scheme of things interview and really having the intention match the impact is something else that's sitting with me. Um, I feel like I have a lot to learn in that area and a lot I want to explore in that area. It feels important to say that not like, Oh, over here, I know all the language things, <laughs> but more like, I know there's a lot to be done by most of us in this area. And it just feels to be able to have that conversation about embodiment feels pretty amazing, actually. Um, mm. uh, just like talking about embodiment journeys, I'm like, wow, I'm so honored just to be in this space, having these conversations. Mm. And so to really talk about language and think about that, um, especially as human beings, language being so important to our nervous systems, to our emotional regulation, to our decision-making, I mean, everything. Um, and also noticing what's around us. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say about this is it's also the direction of things mm -hmm. is really important. The difference between race and racism, who is yeah. doing the action of racism, right? People who look yeah. like me, mm -hmm. but that feels really important to acknowledge. Yeah. You've mentioned directionality quite a few times in our interviews, and I always appreciate that focus. It's not something I always think of, so I really appreciate mm -hmm. that. Something that you said, calling in and calling out, I think a big focus for me um, in this podcast and kind of the larger scope of everything is being more open to being called in or called out, not shielding mm -hmm. myself from that discomfort. I think it's, I think it's pretty human for people to want to do that, but being really intentional about mm. being open to that, if that makes sense. It does. Really focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And openness, not just to getting that there's something to unlearn, but actually doing it. Absolutely. Correct. Um, yeah. uh, being called in or being called out is never going to be comfortable. Right. That's not really the point. <laughs> mm -mm, exactly. <laughs> right. To tone police ourselves and calling someone in or out or asking other people to do that for us. That's not really calling in or calling out. That's something else. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that I have a name for that right now, but I know that that's not what that the intention was. Yeah. Ooh, I'm going to try to figure out what that word is later. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what yeah. that word is. Now that we're in this language intentionality and distinction <laughs> part, I don't know what a word would right. be for that. Um, but the, I think this is actually brings up an important point. We don't have to know the right words for things yeah. right away. It's okay to take time with things um, and listening to us in the podcast, because I did listen to every episode. I can also catch myself and notice that like, I don't always have the word for something. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I think um, uh, not just in a polyvagal theory way, in a somatics way, um, but just honoring the body mm -hmm. um, in general without getting specific in those ways. Um, some things live in us in language that's not verbal, right? It's not how we speak. Mm. And I actually mean that too. Um, where 
we give people the benefit of the doubt and ourselves mm-hmm. the benefit of the doubt by talking about what we really mean. It's okay to say something like, this might sound really harsh, but it feels really important to say, yeah. right? You can still do a call mm-hmm. in or a call out versus being mm-hmm. like, I'm so sorry. And I don't want to say this to you. And I don't even know how you're going to receive it. And like all this like backpedaling kind of stuff yeah. that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with a lot of recent events where it's very much like infighting and making private fights public and lots of things, which Mm -hmm. has its place Mm -hmm. for sure. When things just become something we all know that always has its place. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, just thinking about the body because bodies are going to body and there's a lot of wisdom in the body. It's okay to sit with what the body is saying to us. Um, when we need to, sometimes we need to be disconnected from our bodies in the call in call out conversation, um, mm-hmm. in order to process it later. That's normal. That's okay. Absolutely. Um, sometimes the only thoughts we can have because we realize it's a new thing we have to think about is I don't know. And that's totally valid too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that I actually, I tell other people a lot and I wish I told myself more is that I don't know is a valid answer. Yeah. Um, And also coming up with something in the moment is okay too. And you don't have to agree with yourself later because it was very much in the moment while being called Mm -hmm. in or out. Um, So some grace and space around that might be how I would like summarize what I just said, maybe, or how I was feeling. I love both of those words, grace and space. I really like that. Definitely. Very necessary. (laughs) Did that seem clear? Yes. I loved it. Thank you. That was awesome. I I feel like I'm talking a lot about intentional language. So it feels like not. Well, I think talking about language requires a lot of language. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it does. It felt very layered. (laughs) That's a great point. Thanks for that. Yes, exactly. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. I love that in ending our last season, we explored questions that we asked our guests. What do you think about doing that with each other now about things coming up for this season? Oh, I loved that. And I love this. It sounds great. Let's do it. Okay. How is embodiment as a pleasure practice, a way of opening our minds and selves to something different? Do you find that normalizing these dynamic explorations that are often suppressed or repressed take on new meanings about embodiment? Yeah. Um, this was a hard question to Mm -hmm. ask someone on our second season, because Mm -hmm. it also means that we have to face it too. Mm -hmm. Um, Pleasure is a complicated thing to talk about. Our structures and systems in place, particularly if you're socialized as female, that it is not okay to have pleasure. And so from a very young age, if not from the earliest ages for all of us, the structures and systems and dynamics and language and hidden signals and all of that. I mean, body signals, not hidden signals, (laughs) body language. I couldn't think of that body language, um, tells us that it's not okay. Mm -hmm. The responses and reactions we get say it's not okay. So it feels like this topic is exclusively unlearning. At least that's how I relate to it. Unlearning that it's not okay to have pleasure. Mm -hmm unlearning that uh oh that feels like a strange way to say it so learning that just because I learned that it wasn't normal right that we don't do that here that Mm -hmm. it's um 
it wasn't really like named as a sin in my life, but definitely in lots and lots of conversations around mm. me, like on the periphery of my life. Um, and so I, I felt very suppressed in this way to think about a word from this question. Um, and so just like with anything else that I'm unlearning, I feel like it needs new exploration, new contexts. Um, the book pleasure activism has meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. We talked about that in one of our, we're going to, we're going to talk about that in one of our interviews. Um, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, there's a lot of structures and systems that are even trying to help this that still don't necessarily steer us in a particular direction. Um, and I think that sometimes this kind of unlearning, because it's everywhere and it's very harsh, um, mm-hmm. can sometimes use some direction in unlearning. Mm-hmm. That's why pleasure activism came to mind. Um, I also love the phrasing in this of dynamic exploration. Pleasure is not a one-time thing. It's not the same every time. Uh, it doesn't show up in our body in the same ways. It doesn't, in other words, it doesn't feel the same. Um, we don't anticipate it the same, right? The context really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it may feel really hard to explore. I have found it very hard to explore um, and mostly get the giggles about it <laughs> like, on a pretty regular basis. Um uh, my partner and I have a love language of laughter and humor, um, and keeping things light and fun about topics that can be weird and a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I don't just mean the pleasure of something like sex. I mean, like from food, I mean, getting the thing that you wanted and asked for, like generally speaking, um, is a really hard thing. Like, why are you doing that? You shouldn't ask for the things you want. Do you really need that? These are like the kind of responses that we get in talking about pleasure. Um, And I just want to burn that shit down, honestly. Mm -hmm. I'm also thinking Mm -hmm. of Belly of the Beast right now in this moment, a book whose theme is come burn this down with me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's really the theme of that. Like if I was to take a theme that's sitting with me in this moment about this. um, So if we're going to open our minds and selves and not feel repressed or suppressed by ourselves and by other people, um, Unlearning in any way that's fun feels really important for a topic like pleasure, that it doesn't feel like an obligation or additional stress um, or something we have to anticipate with a lot of anxiety. So that means we have to get to know ourselves and what we need and want. And ooh, does that bring up a lot of feelings in my person? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a hard question to answer. So earlier I said, I don't know is a valid answer. I, that's like my primary answer here. Um, my sister early on in the pandemic, um, really had me prompted me to explore even using a label for myself. And I'm pretty sure I said it last season in the podcast, but now I can't remember, which is demisexual, right? Needing Mm -hmm. context and emotion and connection to be able to have intimacy forms Mm -hmm. of pleasure, Um, but I've also been realizing that I actually need that to feel safe in a lot of situations. And it's something that my body continues reminding me of that, um, how would I, I have a thought in my head and I'm having trouble phrasing it. I'll try. That is, um, I feel like I, I don't want to be labeled ever. It feels like a a cage or a container. Um, 
but labeling something as I need certain context to understand why it feels like something's missing for me has become really important to me. And it really feels centered around pleasure. So not only do I want to open my mind and myself, but I feel like the conversation itself opens my mind and myself. So it's super reciprocal in that way. Um, and this is me saying from like, I feel like a little baby <laughs> about pleasure and like my own exploration, but I guess that's what's sitting there for me. Um, I feel a lot about it now, and I don't always know how to feel about how I feel. Might be how I summarize where I'm sitting. And how about you? Sorry, that was a beautiful answer. I totally was with you the whole way, so it didn't feel like you were anywhere. I just followed you. I loved it. I love. I I think it's it's a it makes sense if it's a kind of a burgeoning thing to Mm. explore because. Like you said, for those who are socialized as female, we're told not, we're, we're, if we're not explicitly told, there's a lot of urging to not explore mm. that aspect of mm. ourselves. That really makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Mm. And I, I, I'm interested in how a label can be something that you immediately buck against, but also that it's also helpful at the same time. That dynamic is really, really interesting to me. Mm. <laughs> oh, Alec, you want to hear more? Yeah. Oh, oh, got it, got it. Only if you want to. Of course, of course. I was like, oh, it is interesting. <laughs> well, the reason I'm saying is because there will be an interview that we talk about in the future mm. with Kimber Stevenson and the desire. Love you, Kimber. Hi, Kimber, you're amazing. And we talked a lot about my desire to have labels on things and how that's that can be a part of white supremacy culture, right? So yes. I was just... I'm wondering if that's why you're bucking against it, even if it felt helpful at the same time. I guess that's where I'm where I'm interested Ooh, in that dynamic. That's a great question. That is not how I meant it, but also oh. I think that's an important layer here too. Okay. Um, I don't like labels put on me by other people. So for leaning in like a what is white supremacist direction, it's forcing labels onto other people. I got gotcha. um, okay. And sometimes structures and systems, even though I'm a white person myself are putting, shoving those labels down my throat, labels Mm -hmm. down my throat too. Um, uh, Some labels that were coming to mind is like calling me a perfectionist or an overachiever Mm, or other things that sit in a really similar place as I can't have pleasure. Mm, Like dismissing me, right? Like you don't need that. You're, you're doing good in the school category. You don't need that. You're doing fine mm. on your own or ways in which I've been dismissed about my own pleasure before. I see. And so I didn't have words or language or even really truly notice it at the time. Thank you, therapy. That's really how I got here and noticing mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, and um, even labels that are used against us in harmful directions and ways, those labels can be reinterpreted if they're helpful. Mm. Um, like that. Yeah. Like to, mm-hmm. to make something feel more neutral in your life. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make pleasure more neutral, right? It's really mm-hmm. seen as negative behind mm-hmm. closed doors in the control of a particular aspect of a relationship. One person, um, uh, who's allowed to have the power. So in that way, very much, I feel like it does come against all kinds of supremacy, but particularly white supremacy, that there's a right way to do things. And if you're not doing it, you're very, very bad. Mm. Um, this is, this is actually really making me think about this, um, that 
reclaim does not feel like the right word here. There's something bigger than that. And I don't know what that word would be. So interesting that I can't go up with words today. Um, that in trying pollen. to <laughs> say what? I blame the pollen. <laughs> oh yeah. Allergies. <laughs> um, very much. Uh, I was bragging to Siobhan last week, dear listeners, that I had no allergy symptoms. And now I have absolutely all of them. You can't hear it yet because it's way up in my sinuses, but it's going to make its way down. But it's giving me a little <laughs> brain tension. Um, that, oh man, I'm stuck on this word reclaim. So I'll just use it for now. Um, even acknowledging that it doesn't quite feel like the right word. That, so something like demisexual, this exploration that I was talking about, the label itself I'm like, well, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> and I don't always feel that way. So labels feel strange when you're being a person. And this is very supremacist. You have to be the same way all the time. Why are you different mm. this time? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That wanting to be a dynamic person means that a label is not always going to feel right. But I think that's just an important part of exploring the label. Um, mm. And the other words that I'm saying, like... I need kind of um, emotional regulation and to feel connected in these other things feel more important to me than the label itself. So it also, the exploration makes the label feel less like someone else's, more like mine, and also that I'm not attached to it somehow. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did I answer your question? You did. Thank okay. you for that clarification. I really appreciate that. <laughs> and I, I really appreciate that. You know, I was talking about my own experience, but I think it's really important to like ground ourselves with um, not just because of how much privilege I have, but also because there are people who are kept from their pleasure in much more significant ways than I am. Like the sure. basics of the pleasure of sleep and a life without stress and constant worry. Absolutely. Um, I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need to keep that in mind as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. Of course. Yes. The question. Thanks for, thank you. <laughs> thank you for <laughs> and, thinking and how about you? Um, how about you and this question? Sure. So I was raised in a strict religious home. So it was definitely suppressed and repressed the dynamic explorations of Mm. pleasure. You know, thinking of when you were talking, I was thinking of the seven deadly sins. I'm not going to go through all of them, but like the idea of gluttony and the idea of sloth. Um, Is greed one? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, maybe greed is not what I'm talking about. So I'm just going to say that. I'm terrible at this game. So I'm sorry if that was wrong. <laughs> no, it was good. Somebody go. Somebody the go idea of gluttony and the idea of sloth. And, you know, if you're doing too much of any of these seven deadly sins or whatever they are, then you're bad. You're not like close yeah. to holiness or whatever. Hmm. And so I think that as an adult, you know, I hmm. um, haven't lived with my parents for quite some time. Oh my God, 20 years. Yeah, this is my 20 year high school reunion this year. I don't want to think about it, but um, mine was last year. (laughs) So, um, kind of moving away from that, that culture, that family culture means that I'm able to explore those, those things, Um, Mm. giving myself permission to explore those things, all those sensual in types, in terms, not just sexual, but like senses, right? So like what feels good on my body, what feels Mm. good to smell, what feels good to taste, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Mm. What sounds do I like? Um, It's, it's been, I think that is true embodiment for me is, is that sensual practice for me. So what feels good? I mean, there's also internal and mental health stuff, but I'm thinking of the, the external embodiment for me. What, 
do my clothes fit comfortably? Do, mm. you know, I get to be in contact with water. That's more than just taking more, more than just cleaning myself, you know, like that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, to me, that's how embodiment has been a pleasure practice. Ooh. Oh man. That was so good. And that reminds me of our conversation with Sheila from last season. And also our conversation with Denise from last season, who both really talked about the interaction of our bodies with the environment around them, a key part of embodiment mm-hmm. um, in being able to access things for and about and with ourselves. Yes. Um, and as you were just saying that, I was kind of like rubbing my arm and just thinking about, I'm like, oh yeah, it does. Like tactile things feel nice. Mm-hmm. Things that taste good and well and mm-hmm. like a match are nice. Mm-hmm. Um, not having my eyes feel like they're burning right out of their sockets like they are today with allergies. That's nice. <laughs> right? Like <laughs> like the eye drops that I have right here, which mm-hmm. I'm showing to Siobhan on the camera, which I'm totally going to- I love how they're amazing. Um, it's for my dry eye in, though, but that's yes, cool. <laughs> that I'm going to put in my, in my- eyes and then I'm gonna be like oh right it's gonna be such an amazing Mm -hmm. pleasurable feeling Mm -hmm. oh I'm really gonna take that and think about that because I'm just realized just like in listening to you I was like there is something so beautiful in these simple things that you're talking about that I feel like I need constant reminders about my brain goes to such big things really fast um that feels really important I got a lot out of that thanks I also think I also wanted to say that my sexual identity is, you know, being able to tap into that, um, as an adult, as a, you know, as a woman who someone, you know, someone feminized, I'm sorry, someone socialized as female has been a journey too, because like you said, we're, especially in my house, you were, that is not something that you indulge in Mm. most of the time. (laughs) before you get married and then in marriage in very particular ways and clearly, you know, and so being able to not, you know, ascribe to that has been an embodiment practice for me as well. Just feeling, just figuring out what feels good to me in a sexual way as well. Yes. You know, this actually brings up a sort of core memory for me, which I am going to say, um, dad, if you're listening, I'm going to talk about you. I don't think my dad's ever going to listen to this podcast, but I'm going to talk about him because I think this is really important. This is like, you know, it was a very subvert conversation, not spoken, like really assumed, but there's like like one clear example I can think of. I think I was somewhere in the early part of high school and I was sitting down to watch Interview with the Vampire for the first time with my dad. And a scene comes on where they've like brought these vampires have brought women of the night to come and like they can get blood from them. And this I can't even remember which one, if it's the Brad Pitt vampire or the Tom Cruise vampire. I actually can't remember. I'm pretty sure it's the Tom Cruise vampire. But anyway, <laughs> he sinks into his teeth into a woman's breasts, which are held up in a heat in a corset, like they're just practically up to yeah. her chin. It's very, and the shot is from above. It's extremely obvious. Um, and he pauses it and he tells me to get out. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and he's like, get out. Even a boob being present, a breast being present in a movie about vampires, completely actually non-sexual in that particular moment, mm-hmm. um, he couldn't handle it. Mm. So now I'm almost 40. And for maybe the last three-ish years, he's been able to handle watching <laughs> such a movie with me. And I've seen <laughs> many movies with my dad. He always worked in a place where I lived just by coincidence. We used to ha- go to the movies weekly. Uh, and we just managed to avoid 
And I think he did it really intentionally, managed to avoid these kinds of moves, like a sex scene. I'm pretty sure that he wouldn't be able to do that. Um, but it really told me that I, it was wrong, mm-hmm. that I didn't get what was going on um, and that I couldn't watch it with my dad, mm-hmm. which is strange mm-hmm. how we just kept watching movies and that never came up again, like, because yeah. the kind of scene never came up. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure he remembers that, but for me, it was like, Okay, I guess I will be watching this kind of movie yeah. with my dad. Um, and yeah. if, I think it also felt like it was wrong for me to not think that was a big deal. Like, I didn't understand why it was a big uh, deal. Mm-hmm, I, I, mean, mm-hmm. I think I get it now, but I don't think I got yeah. why it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as you were talking about in your family, how it's not allowed, mm-hmm. right? Not talked about, but not allowed. I was trying to think of like any example like that because it felt like it really resonated. And then I was like, yeah. oh, and then yeah. I really remembered. I haven't mm-hmm. thought about that in a long time. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> so even like, the pleasure of watching a movie that's a form of escape knowing yeah. it's like real between everyone mm. in the room but it's like can make people really uncomfortable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely mm. i'm gonna have to think about that yeah <laughs> I'm, gonna have, I'm gonna have to think about that too because i'm actually wondering if i avoid things myself while watching tv like if this somehow still has a place in my life i'd have to think about uh, that or movies hmm. i don't know okay. <laughs> nice <laughs> i don't know that feels like a newer thing for me to kind of think about but Right. It felt okay to say right now. It How did, did it feel to listen it. to? I okay. loved it. <laughs> it's like a very strong memory all of a sudden. No, um, I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm also just like a little bit of mourning for younger us that we had to feel like we didn't get something or that it wasn't okay to mm-hmm. have this instinct for pleasure as every human being does. Mm-hmm. Um that's just a hard thing, yeah. right? Also recognizing that some people are not allowed to feel it on a basic level through food insecurity and other really big, yes. hard th- abuse mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. in their life. I was just, I'm just kind of sitting in a spot about that. Yeah. Well, makes me a little sad too. Me too. So pleasure can have humor and sadness is something I'm really it getting can. in what we've shared so far. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are things to be open to, I think, because they feel real. Mm-hmm. They are. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and I totally made this into a downer. And now we've gone to the next question. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I can just like feel the somber energy takeover. Um, oh, no, I'm yeah. going to call it a thinker. It wasn't a downer. It was a, a thinker. thinker. A oh, I appreciate that reframe. Okay. I like that. A thinker. It definitely feels like a thinker. I like yes. that. It's like, a, I'm going to go sit with that for a minute. Okay, good. Right I, for a second, I was like, I think I sucked the air out of the room. Okay. No. I, I, I like that. I like that. A thinker. Okay. I like that. I like That's that. <laughs> okay. So let, let's do another one. I'm sure. loving this. I, Me too. I'm having thinker. a great time. Okay. <laughs> How can we tune into the nuance of our lived experience through coping, recovery, aging, chronic illness and pain, mental health needs, and just being a human being with a body? Oh, uh, this is it's a very big intense. question. <laughs> this is very big. It's mm. very intense. It's very timely, I think. So I'm going to mm. get a bit real. So I've been really struggling with um some internalized fat phobia some internalized ableism and i think that this podcast and just kind of the way i live my life in general and therapy so much therapy has been really thank helpful. you therapy thank you therapy i just had it this morning and it was just what i needed um i think it's been really helpful in 
tuning in to those those some of the aspects that you asked the question about. But I think we can tune into it by some of those things. Um, therapy, um, practicing embodiment or devotion, you know, doing your embodiment devotion, whatever term feels best for you, seeking support. I think that one of the um, guests that we had, uh, Michelle Phillips, talked a lot about grief. And I think that that's part of the tuning in. So I've been struggling with some not terrible pain issues, but I've been moving my body a bit more, which has led to some pain issues and kind of dealing with the grief of my body isn't, doesn't move the way it used to, you know, when I was mm. 20, whatever, of course it doesn't, mm. <laughs> 19, whatever, mm. of course it doesn't. Um, coming to terms with the fact that I probably will have to be on an antidepressant for the rest of my life after trying for the last time to wean. There's been some grief around that, but there's also some joy in the fact that I've decided to support my body and support my life in that way. Um, so I think tuning in is, when I think of the, the, the term tuning in, I think of, well, attunement, obviously, but just being still. Um, hmm. Sitting with our lived experience and... Um, I was going to say embracing it. I don't know if that's the right term, but at least acknowledging it, um, acknowledging mm. the changes, your needs, your um, struggles. And I think that's a huge part of embodiment for me. I don't know if that answered the question, but that's kind of where did. I am right now. Oh, it did. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and something really interesting was happening over here for me. I was like, yes, 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 yes. To like everything. Um, also, I want to say openly, I'm also feeling internalized fat phobia and ableism related to my body right now, mostly because my medical team has decided to make me think those thoughts. Uh, Trying it. to banish them takes some work when they've been re-invited in without my permission. Mm -hmm. Um, and as you were talking about tuning in and stillness and attunement, my brain kind of said, yeah, and tuning out and discernment and letting the body do the moving. So I'll explain myself, but I was sitting mm -hmm. with those things like, um, I'm not great at tuning out historically. I just like sit in something until I'm so overwhelmed that my body doesn't have a choice anymore. And now yeah. it has tuned out and then it tuned, you know, it takes me with it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mm -hmm. end up in the very dissociated place. Um, and attunement is exhausting to my nervous system. Sometimes mm. I'm like, Oh, why do I have to be tuned? <laughs> right. Sometimes I don't want to be attuned. Mm -hmm. So being able to discern when I want to be attuned and when I don't, we've talked about this with several guests in season two mm -hmm. so far, mm -hmm. um, which is like intentionally um, checking out, being distracted, getting numb yeah. um, in ways that are not harmful to ourselves, an important distinction, um, difficult to navigate through. So it's okay if it's not perfect and you have to learn about that, or I have to learn about that, or we do. Um, but that stillness, doesn't feel like a possibility for my <laughs> neurodivergent nervous system. Mm -hmm, it's something mm -hmm. that I'm mourning and thinking about and yeah. like, wow, maybe just my stillness is not what that word implies. Mm. And something that I've been doing a lot of therapy about, thank you, therapy again, thank you, therapy. Um, but really sitting with, um, 
is that what I notice when I am not doing things to at or with my body, my body is still up to stuff. Mm. And so it's feeling like tuning out, having discernment about that is actually inviting a connection with my body. I'm not sure if this makes sense outside of my head or not, because it's very much something I'm feeling and I'm trying to put words to. No, I can Um, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's just feeling really important to get Mm -hmm. that. I don't always have to be doing tuning in or doing Mm -hmm. attunement or Mm -hmm. doing coping, doing recovery, just the things that are here, um, aging in a particular way, even if it's trying not to age in a particular way, there's still a trying, um, Mm -hmm. acknowledging my own chronic illnesses and my own chronic pain feels like an important aspect of this also. Um, and you were talking about quality of life things. Like what is the quality of life that you want and what actually supports that? Mm -hmm. Um, What is the quality of life that you and your body are able to do? What's the gap between that and what you want? Mm -hmm. And the morning that's involved in that um, allows you to be a human being with a body. So I think something I'm really getting is this entire question and your answer are sitting with me. All of the little pieces, parts of this are sitting with me. Um, It feels like there is no one right answer to this question right? We have very different answers. I imagine Mm -hmm. each of us have very different answers. Our guests this season have had incredibly different answers. Yeah, Um, yeah. And that's just sitting to me as really important that there isn't an Mm -hmm. answer that's a pigeonhole that we have all the answers to choose from. And that feels really important in our relationships with our body because for our body to try to force us to do something in a particular way wouldn't work. So why are we trying to force it in the other way? Um, Something my therapist says to me, which I don't know if I've ever told you, Siobhan, um, but this is, it's like, Jen, this is going to be harsh, but I need to hear it. I'm like, okay. And it's, you're not that special. (laughs) We said that just last in the last one. Oh, did we? In the interview with Kimber. I think that's when I was just told that, honestly. Okay. So that, that wasn't that long ago. Um, still stinging. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is. And it's also like a really yeah, wonderfully it, refreshing wake up mm-hmm. call, call in, call out mm-hmm. therapist, um, saying that I am not the exception to coping and compassion yeah. and recovery and discernment and attunement and just like everything. Um, I think being in a helping profession myself, I'm willing to give myself an exception all the time in service of other people. And I don't want to be doing that at the expense of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I'm repeating myself and that's because it feels really important to me. So, it is. and yeah. also no one's ever said anything like that to me and have, and I took it right like, in my whole <laughs> life. So I'm turning 40 later this year, actually Woo-hoo! just a little bit, like just a couple months after this episode will come out. Um, and I've never let anyone talk to me like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like immediate, like, yes, of course. Right. It was just the right moment and all of that. Right. And I think that can be a really beautiful part of embodiment and inviting each other into our experiences about it as we can tune into something right at the moment we need to hear it. So I guess mm-hmm. I'm sounding woo woo now, but it feels important. And there's just timing of things, cosmic timing, call it whatever kind of timing you want. It just doesn't feel like a coincidence. Yeah. I don't think it is. Yeah. 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 I think it was, it was woo woo as it is. I love it. Um, it's, it was what you needed in that moment. So the universe decided you need, it was time to give you. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Universe, yes. higher power, whatever you call it, whatever. Yeah. You, the, whatever. I often um, use universe because it's same. what resonates, but it's whatever same. resonates. Whatever yeah. works for you, the listener. Um, yes. Take <laughs> universe I'm, to be what you yeah. need it to be. Yes. yes. And I'm giggling. I was giggling when you're saying that stillness doesn't work for you. And I'm, in my head, I was like, <laughs> well, it doesn't work for me either. Like, I, I like to think that I can sit still. When I was thinking of this mental health stuff that's been going on for me. If I'd sat down earlier, I would have known that something was wrong. Um, something was maybe not wrong, but something was feeling off kilter for me. So maybe I said it that way because I'm trying to challenge myself to give myself more stillness. I'm not great at it. Um, Mm. my therapist was on for season one and we very clearly, like she very clearly was like, you don't do meditation and I don't, (laughs) I like to pretend, I mean, I do it like once every three weeks, it's not a practice, but if I sit more, I'm telling myself I will be able to tune in more. So that I'm trying to make that more of my practice right now. Oh, and I really get that too. I do know that I can be still in certain contexts, yeah. but my brain has to get what it needs in those contexts. And meditation mm. isn't going to cut it for me like 99% of the time. Um, sitting on a bench at a park in nature in the spring, which mm. I have done a lot over the last month. It's been beautiful here and I've had no allergy so. consequences till now, right? Woo-hoo. So I did it a lot. Um, there's so a lot to right pay now. attention to. Mm-hmm. Um and so that, that feels still while also like my nervous system getting what it needs. Yes. Um, I really am into that. And I love a walking meditation. Me I too. love, I'm like, what my can favorite. I be active doing? <laughs> well, I'm my absolute do that. favorite. Mm-hmm. That or washing um, dishes for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a kind of still walking actually feels like a kind of stillness to my body. So mm. that's a really great point. Like I just feel a particular type of way while I'm walking. And when I'm done yeah. walking mm-hmm. that I imagine it feels like maybe something close when someone else has found like a deep meditative state. Like I feel like I've worked through an incredible number mm-hmm. of things with my body being engaged mm-hmm. in that process. So maybe um, stillness just looks different for each person. Like maybe it really is. I'm taking that on as you, as you said that, cause it, it feels important to acknowledge. Right. And I'm, I know more, I'm a good yeah. listener. We talked about yeah. that in season one you um, are, <laughs> and that's a form of stillness. Yeah. So I need to give myself more credit. I'm not that special. I can be still. <laughs> so there oh, it goes. You're so special too. Um, but no, I want to, it, it feels very permissive for you to say that. Cause I was like, I should be sitting. So maybe just walking is what I need instead of like trying to fit into this like meditation box. My sister is like the best meditator and she mm. can like she could just do it. And I'm like, I don't even, I don't understand, but maybe that's just not me. Good for her. I just can't do it. Yeah. Oh, that's a great point. Social comparison, especially among people Mm -hmm. we know really well Mm -hmm. makes us Mm -hmm. think that we should do it another person's way. It's so natural, such a survival thing. It's so like built into our very beings. Mm -hmm. Um, and to pull away from that does not feel comfortable. Right. But doing our own thing is important. Giving ourselves what we need is important. Right. Yeah. Whatever so, quote unquote stillness is. I'm just going to put it in quotes because actually it still feels really nice, but I'm just going to put it I in like quotes. It. Mm-hmm. I like it. Oh, this is fun. Should yeah. we go on to the next one? Cause yeah. this one is big. What embodiment practices do you recommend for folks moving through grief and toward liberation? What does your broken heart need? Oof. Ooh, that last question got me right in the gut mm-hmm. or the heart somewhere in my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, made me immediately emotional, even though I knew this question was coming. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
we had a conversation with Michelle Phillips about this that like blew my mind and has changed yeah. the way I think about a lot of things. I cannot wait for everyone to get to listen to that. Yeah. Something that I'm sitting with is that grief comes in waves, really untidy, unpredictable waves. It's not like some sort of, oh, look at the waves coming at me in the in the sunset. It's like crash. <laughs> oh, a couple quiet ones, right? Crash from an angle, right? Like it's like, oh, the wildest waves. I can actually think of a beach in California when I lived, used to live in California that's just like this. It's actually really dangerous. Every time I've gone, oh. an ambulance has been called. Oh, Not no. for me, but like around me, same every single time oh, yeah. I go to this beach, right? So yeah. it's a wild beach situation. That's mm-hmm. how grief feels. And so we often try to come up with neat and tidy practices for how to come up with uh, holding space for grief, doing something about grief, letting grief be, right? It's very neat and tidy. But after that conversation and something I'm really sitting with and will continue to sit with is like, what if our responses aren't so neat and tidy? What if we can give ourselves space to come up with what we need? So pretty similar to my last answer, I guess. Um, Like what if even liberation can come in waves? First of all, human beings need breaks. You can't just do one giant wave and pretend like it never breaks on the other side, right? right? You just have to, you have to give yourself breaks. Um, and I also think that grief, because of how entangled it is with so many parts of our inner and outer world, it can feel like it has an incredible sense of urgency to shove it down, to get it out of the way, very specifically. Um, and I think just thinking of space and grace. So I'm probably going to be saying things in themes today, I guess, because that seems to be what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> space and grace feels really important. What if the urgency was removed? Mm. What if we can have space and grace? Mm. Yeah. I'm just going to leave wow. it there because it's a challenge to keep it there, but it feels like the right thing. So how about you? I love that. I, I I totally agree with that. It is a challenge, but it feels really necessary. Mm. Um, so I really loved this episode. I I love this process, as you know. I love this podcast, but this one, I well, I learned something new from every episode. But this one, I feel, has really been sticking with me since we met with them. Maybe February, maybe January. I'm not sure when when we recorded the actual interview. Um, Michelle Phillips gives this list that I said in the interview, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to do this, but it was amazing. And I don't, I'm not going to go into the whole thing because you don't need to know it right now because I want you to listen to the episode, but um, <laughs> sitting and asking what is my broken heart need? So I've been doing yes. that. And I know when I started, I guess when we recorded last year, I don't know. I thought that the theme for 2022 was going to be rust. And I think it's grief more than anything. Mm. Um, it is a lot of allowing myself to be still and feel grief. So I guess it's rest and grief. I don't know. Um, Mm. But I think that embodiment practices, that uh, that sitting and asking what is my broken heart need, that the practice of actually giving yourself (laughs) what you you hear, what you say. Um, Denise uh, Friedman in season one talked about the 
you know, the dichotomy of grief and gratitude. So I think it's a lot like what you said, Jen, there's, it comes, mm. grief is in waves. So I think the gratitude is right after it. It's like the, I don't know, oceans, but like there's the wave and then it's like what comes right after. Um, mm. It's like, I can like see a, a mini wave coming right after mm-hmm. each big grief wave. So I think for practices for me, when it comes to grief, it's sitting in, I don't want to say wallowing in my grief, but sitting with my grief, walking with my grief, because I don't really sit, um, walking with my grief and allowing the gratitude to come in when it when it does come in, not forcing it, just kind of riding that wave. I think we live in a, in a society mm. of toxic positivity, and sometimes I don't always feel grateful for that grief, um, but often it pops up in different ways that I didn't expect. So I think mm. that's the biggest embodiment practice for me is just letting... Mm grief exist because grief is a is an emotion that we don't talk about a lot grief and loss and it's something that we push down quickly as a society or encouraged to push down quickly I mean bereavement is three days um if you work for some place you know a typical place in this country nobody grieves in three days like what the fuck is that like that's not but also so clearly we it's not a concept that we take on very readily in the United Mm. States yes yeah. Who can tell how they even feel in three days? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that made me mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. That was very powerful. I don't want to touch that one either. Apparently <laughs> I'm feeling really protective about how each of us feels about grief. I, yeah, I agree. Which, um, <laughs> you know, I always say tough and tender. It really yeah. feels like big emphasis on the tough when it comes to mm-hmm. grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't even want to be another person trying to choose what tender is. I just want to yeah. let you get to choose yeah. that. That's feeling yeah, important. I, yeah, I feel, I guess I feel protective of yours because we all grieve in different ways. So I'm like, I'm not going to mm. define anything differently for you. This mm. is what grief looks like for me. That's what grief looks like for you, just for like yeah. everyone. So maybe that's fine. I'm wondering. Ooh, so that feels very safe and secure to me. Um, thinking about discernment. I should just like announce this one of my favorite words. I think I probably yeah. already have, but yeah. like it really is. <laughs> it's um, one of mine too. <laughs> yeah, it's so much action and content in the letters in one word. I mean, there's just a lot there. Mm-hmm. I all it also feels like grief can have space for people we trust to discern for us because some of the lowest moments of grief, we cannot make choices for ourselves. It happens. Right. We feel completely detached. Um, so just like acknowledging that right now I'm not feeling in a low state of grief at this time, even though I'm always grieving things, especially things related to my body and embodiment and how I'm treated, um, that I don't need anyone to discern for me right now. And it also feels, I know, for example, Siobhan, that I could say, I need some discernment and you'd be like, what do you need? Yeah. Right. And I know that we could have that. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. And I know that we could have that conversation. So that's also sitting there in wanting to like this urge that I have to like protect your grief and space, but also <laughs> an invitation that when we need someone else's discernment, um, that we have someone to have those conversations with or someone's. Yeah. That's, that's what we get kept special. from us. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Did I talk over you? I was, no, you're fine. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I was just saying that something that's kept from us by not acknowledging grief and doing that. Oh, it's yes. so urgent. Shove it down part is we kind of keep each other from each other in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I completely agree. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. That's a good one. 
Yeah. And that's really resonating in my body a lot, like a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of sensations of happening yes. in my body. Yeah. Yeah. Oof is a good word for the sensations happening in my entire chest area, like deep in there. Um, okay. So speaking of oof, <laughs> big old oof, let's yeah. do it. <laughs> so, um, we started recording this season, um, at the very end of 2021. Mm-hmm. So, and we recorded at least half of our season, if not the bulk of our season, um, before some pretty major things happened in the letters and organizations and with people who um, are really supposed to be holding a space like we're trying to hold. Um, And so we want to talk about it openly. And also I'm, I'll speak for myself. I'm really um, feeling that I don't want to give too much centered space to the people who have done harm. I just want to make sure that we acknowledge it. How does that feel for you? I think that's really important because of the space that this podcast exists in. I think it's, it's really, yeah, necessary. Okay. So this is a question we do ask and we talked about it at the end of season one. So like, if you were listening to these back to back, like we just talked about it, um, uh, what is your take on intuitive eating and, or health at every size? Where do they fall short, especially considering what has happened recently? Um, with the author of the Health at Every Size book, um, compared to the origins of Health at Every Size and the harm of Black, Brown, Indigenous, and people of color, in other words, the global majority. Thank you, Alicia McCullough, for this, that phrasing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say intuitive eating along with this because it's the most popular of the Health at Every Size aligned, quote unquote, mm-hmm. modalities. Big questions. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, we will put in the show notes whatever the latest is when this comes out. So there's some context here if you're like, what are we talking about? But I'm still sitting in a place that it feels like these people have spoken for themselves. And um, I'm still seeing the person who's done harm centered in some spaces. And that's feeling really yucky to me. Mm-hmm. So it's April, 2022 right now. And it's been over a month since that happened. And this person is being defended and centered and it feels just gross. It's super gross. So I acknowledge my anger. <laughs> so I probably sound like I have a monotone right now. Um, how does this question feel for you? How does it feel for me to ask it? And what's on your mind? It feels, I'm glad you asked it. Like I said, the this is what our podcast is about, right? So I think not only, but I think it's, important to speak on it. It it would feel disingenuous if we're just like, here we are, we're going to do another interview and we're not going to discuss what happened. So I Mm -hmm. appreciate that. Um, oh, it's so shitty. Everything is so shitty. So I, um, yeah. Oof. Yeah. As I said, speaking of oof, (laughs) oof, that's like my only reaction to this. I mean, it's not Mm -hmm. my only, it's just what has been happening lately, probably because of the way that this author is still being Mm -hmm. centered and defended six weeks or something later like that. Um, something like that. Um, so I think that I don't even know where to start. I think that (laughs) me neither. That sounds valid. Right. You can jump in at any time because I just feel like I'm just circling the drain. Um, I feel like um, I think it's first of all what I said in our closing episode for season one. I'll say again, I think that they're a great place to start, but they fall short. Um, I think that there's a 
large amount of privilege that is expected and utilized, I guess, in terms of things like intuitive eating and health at every size that are just, Mm. it's expected that you can buy the food that you want to eat. It's expected that you can spend the time cooking it, that you're not, you know, working three jobs to support whoever, whatever. Mm. Um, So I think there's a lot of privilege within it. I think that what I said before, and I still believe is that health at every size does a better job of pushing forward the narrative. I... I appreciate it as does response to this whole um, kind of this reckoning. I guess that's the word I've been using in my head a lot. I truly forgot that Lindo Bacon was not the originator of this. Um, I think that they did, and I'm not going to center them too much, but I think that they did a great job in centering themselves as the, themselves rather, as the founder of this movement. I saw some old Twitter, like some old tweet. I can't even talk because I don't use Twitter. Some old tweet. It's like some old Twitter. Um, some old, it sounds like I'm like 90 years old. Some old Twitter. My grandfather um, used to say the Google and that reminds the me Google. of or, or my favorite, Netflix. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> no, I loved it. Some old tweet where they, or maybe it was Facebook. After all that, I don't even think it was Twitter. Okay. Some old thing on we, Facebook. We laugh to cope, just so you know, yeah. while listening. Some old thing on Facebook about how they were the founder of it, or they wrote the book on it, or something like that. And, like, obviously, they were. Um, benefiting from that uh, misconception of many people as well. So that's shitty. I think that the infighting has been really hard, um, really hard to be present for. I understand why some of these things happened. It's, I also understand why some of them were made public, but it just feels really unfortunate. It feels mm. like a lot of, what about me-ism right now? That's kind of what Ooh. I'm getting from it. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I'm going to stop for now. I think I have more, but nothing is coming up in my head, but I will probably have more as you're speaking. So go mm. ahead. <laughs> no, that was great. And you know, I, there are no letters, not I-E, not H-A-E-S. There are no letters that get to decide for someone else what they need. Yes. Absolutely. And can we try these things on and see if they work? Yeah, just like with any modality. That's true. Um, This reckoning, love that word, was really (laughs) reminding me of our conversation with Shelby Gordon, who's the first person we interviewed after this Uh, became public. All of, I'm just, I'm gesturing to the air, everyone. This. (laughs) Um, In how it's about time that we have a really open conversation about the origin of things are and who's causing harm. Like that's like the angry part of it is like, yes, it's time. Um, Cause there's been a lot of harm done. Yeah. And also um, I could see how we might double down on some of these letters or other letters. Um, people are going to seek safety and security in letters. They feel super safe. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's still going to be more harm. So it's really thinking about like the next time that there's harm, what are we going to do? The next Mm -hmm. time that there's harm by a thin white person, what are thin white people going to do? Um, I am a white person. What am I going to do? Because the harm is exclusively coming in that direction. 
coming from that direction. And speaking mm-hmm. of directionality, um, you know, I think I mentioned in our talking with Kimber, which I'll mention also here, as I always think of the social determinants of health, mm-hmm. they were at the beginning of the pandemic, um, there were some public health talks that were really like having a reckoning with public health in general. And I was very much there for that since that's my master's degree. And it feels <laughs> like I did an incredible amount of harm with that, right? Mm-hmm. Always trying to not do any of that anymore. But like the field was having like a reckoning with itself. Um, And there was a speaker who was like, they're not the social determinants of health. That's not what they determine. That's what they prevent. That's what they Mm. harm. That's what they get in the way of. Mm. Um, And so it's also making me think about the direction here and what's in the way. Um, It's people who are the most listened to naturally because of white supremacist notions Mm -hmm. that are buried deep inside of all of us. Um, They're the ones who are listened to and upheld. Um, and the originators of the work, I'll make sure we put in the show notes here, an amazing resource from ASDA about the entire history mm. of health at every size, right? Decades mm-hmm. and decades, some of them before the birth of Lindo Bacon. That's really important, right? right? That kind of yeah. context. Um, and also there's a lot of people who are hurting because of this situation where there's the people who are publicly hurting right? They're like, stuff is all out there for each other to see. And there's a lot of people who are going to feel very confused, who are not going to know what to do. Um, They're going to think this feels like, oh, I think I finally found an answer or something that's not this other shit, but maybe I didn't. I think it's a very confronting and confusing experience. That's why I Mm -hmm. wish a lot of it hadn't happened in public because- um, We don't know what's going to be harmful for other people from that conversation. Uh, we also can't shield anyone from that conversation because it's, that's like me. I'm splatting at my screen. There's like a splat of that information Mm -hmm. and right. Like slowly dripping down and we're all like reading it as it goes down. Mm -hmm. Right. The -hmm. human brain loves drama. It loves to know about how other people aren't doing so great at surviving and how we might do better at that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, we're just like, we can tune into that stuff so easily. Um, and while this one has aired and this is probably the last thing I'll say about this so there was an I'm going to put apology in quotes I just want everyone Mm -hmm. to listening know I have quotes in the air Mm -hmm. or maybe we should just be honest and say a non-apology sorry for your feelings Um, I'm sorry if your feelings were hurt yeah (laughs) right a (laughs) non-apology no accountability no determination of what would be done differently to not cause continued harm in fact doubling down on certain types of harm right just some real Mm -hmm. bullshit Mm -hmm. um so this remains unsettled, unresolved, and it's going to be very interesting to me what happens next. Yeah. As you said, I love Asda's response. Um, they're going to talk about cancel culture and accountability pretty soon after we record this episode. I think it might be next week. Um, and those resources will be available later, as Asda always does. There's a June conference. 11th. Yeah. Is it June 9th or 11th? Whatever the Saturday is. It's 11th. Yeah. Okay. I believe you. Between those days, I never. I hope that's not a lie. It's fine. (laughs) It's the second Saturday in June. And whatever that date is, it will be all day um, where they're going to face these things head on. That was already planned for. That's just a coincidence that that's coming here pretty soon after this episode will air and you'll be listening to us talk right now. But I think that's really important to tune into because it's people getting to speak for themselves. And it's a lot of what is next. I'm here for that conversation, right? How can we be harm reductive together? 
How can we be in community mm-hmm. with each other? Um, how can we do things towards collective liberation? How can we acknowledge the truth about the past, including who actually came up with things, not just who gets to be the face of it for a while when we're not paying attention, which I'm mm-hmm. also very susceptible to. I didn't know that originally either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that feels that feels important, the looking ahead part. And I don't want to feel like I'm dismissing anything because I have an incredible amount of anger that still exists in this moment. Um, and I guess I just have a limit for infighting, right? It's just when people get nasty with each other that are on the same side, I think that's my tap out moment, um, for being very much engaged in the current moment. Um, but it also feels very supportive to look ahead. So I'm Mm -hmm. kind of sitting in that space. I'm not sure how that feels, Mm -hmm. but that's how I'm sitting. I'm exactly where you are. I had to tap out at least on being a social media for now. Cause every time I get on, I'm like, Oh, mm. uh, <laughs> uh, those are the sounds that basically come out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, at first and, I was just all pulled into it, but now I'm like, I can't anymore. Yeah. Like even I'm tapped from that. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. It's okay. And there's a, there's a collective experience with providers for eating disorders that our clients were not doing okay. That's yes. a pretty big collective experience. Yes. And that's what I mean about like no filters, who sees the information mm-hmm. because they're all following us to not be in spaces that are hard um, and triggering and without yeah. warning. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. not trying to be in that space. So they probably curated things. So they didn't have to be subjected to things without right. permission. So that's mm-hmm. really sitting in my head too. But yeah. That, yeah. that's probably where my I, anger comes from. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, after being either, uh, I don't want to, I'm not tooting my own horn, but being a part of the movement in some tiny, small way for, I don't know, almost a decade, even I was like, what, like, what is happening to this? Like, what is this the right movement? And I, I know, like, I know a lot more than like the newbie coming into it. So that feels really hurtful and really scary for people that I don't know who are just saying, maybe I don't need to diet ever again. And then they come into this bullshit. Like that's, I hate it. I really, really hate it. So um, (laughs) it's not very welcoming. Um, you can get one post. You're like, what is going on here? And then you have to, then then for me, it's like an hour later. I'm like, okay, I've combed through things and I'm still like, oh my God, that's so much. So I think, I think it's, I think neither of us said it, but I know we both know it, but I think it's important to name. I think actually you did. I'm sorry. So naming the, the origins of Hayes and, you know, that this was a fat activism movement before anything else and that we are growing because of the labor, the unpaid labor of those living in black yes. and, and indigenous and people of bodies and people of color, bodies of people of color, um, AKA the global majority. I could have just said that. That would have been much faster. Okay. Um, I, <laughs> I also felt I, compelled to say the whole thing. I think it's, I think, I don't know. I, I am wondering what mm. comes next. Cause unfortunately that's just what happens. And I hope that there's a better response to it. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Um, something that's actually considerate. And I don't mean people who were directly harmed saying this harm happened to me. Yes. I mean, everything else that's on top of and around that. Mm-hmm. I want to make that super clear because I'm about to say, I want people to be more considerate. And I don't mean that about people who are harmed. I don't mean to, I'm not trying to tone police people who are harmed and say, be more considerate Mm -hmm. of me. That's not what I mean. Um, 
I mean, all the piling on and like the magnifying and the lack of nuance and just like the constant, like never ending reinterpretation Mm -hmm. and update. I mean, it's exhausting. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is something that we're also in the habit of doing about like news that's bad and things in the world in the pandemic. We do this and I don't like any of it where it's just like, why are we overwhelming each other constantly? Why are we creating all this urgency when what we seem to need is space? We don't consider that in each other or who might be listening or watching. And I wish we did more of that. I agree. Again, not the people harmed. I'm talking about all the other stuff. All the other stuff. And I think that's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did not know that's where I was going to get. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, go go, 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 go. (laughs) Talking over each other with enthusiasm. I was going to say, I didn't know that's where we were going to get to. And that actually felt really cathartic with me to have this converse for me to have this conversation with you because I've just been sitting here stewing like the suck. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know who I was feeling protective of. And now I get Mm. it. (laughs) Like, why am I feeling protective? Maybe, maybe, or indignant. I don't know what the right term is, but like (laughs) now I both, both. Um, but now I understand why it feels so, 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 so icky. Cause if I had come into this as like, my 27 year old self, my 25 year old self, I would have been like, I'm out. <laughs> like, mm. I can't, like, I'm not going to deal with this right now. So, yeah. yeah. Well, know. that sounds protective. Yeah. And indignant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say something else and I forgot. I'm I haven't so been sorry. on social media for, no, it's fine. First, like, for like two weeks, like, about that stuff. So I don't even know what's going on, but eventually I'll yeah. try to catch up just so I know what the hell we're talking about. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think this segue is really nicely to the next question. So how do you intend to center and send more compensation to those in marginalized spaces, many of whom provide the emotional labor of the fat activism movement? Oh my gosh. I love this question. (laughs) I love it so much. Um, I love a chance to think about, am I doing enough? And I don't mean as a perfectionist judgment. I mean, am I supporting people so that they know that I'm here? Um, a couple of things come to mind, right? So we compensate people on our podcast for their time. First and foremost, that feels incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want it to be unpaid here too. And I know you feel the same and that's felt really Mm -hmm. important to me. Absolutely. Um, and also something like quote unquote giving to charity has been like sitting heavy on my heart for a very long time. Like even considering Black Lives Matter, the larger organization and the millions of dollars that didn't go to anyone, but the people who were in charge of that money just like really doesn't feel good mm. um, about a topic that's so important and continues to be so important. Um, like some people didn't get a house because of the way that that was handled. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that really makes me upset. Um mm-hmm. So it's like, how can we make sure that our, I'm thinking of money primarily here because it's still a pandemic and that feels like that's how I access people. I just want to say that openly. I would probably Mm -hmm. have more to it other than this if I felt like we could access each other more safely. Um, But it feels like supporting them and making sure they're safe by not like going all up in their space is also an important thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is, I would say, mutual aid. So this is where people say, this is what I need to get housing. This is what we need as a collective to be able to help each other in our community. Um, It tends to be very local. um, Although it doesn't have to be, you can find mutual aid on the internet um, about just about any topic because there's a lot of people who need support. Um, And 
that feels important that I am in general supporting mutual aid. That just feels important. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's often when a system or a structure has left someone without something they really need. It's not a fault of their own. And by often, I mean, like we can say always. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to the fat activism movement, that is paying people um, who are doing, who's where the idea came from and, and who are speaking on these topics, um, not those that are co-opting the words, the actions and the movement in general of other people. Mm-hmm. It feels important to distinguish that. Um, and, you know, one of the things about the situation we were just talking about, what, how things are visible, is it's like super clear in that situation. Um, and it can feel scary to do that in other situations without knowing that kind of information. Like, am I supporting the person that I should be supporting in this moment? I also think we have to trust ourselves and our discernment and get that we will get better over time about this. Um, But it's something to think about, just like thinking about your social media feed and is it curated to only show you thin white people and their messaging? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you even see requests for mutual aid? If you don't, Mm -hmm. that tells me that you're not following the people who provide the emotional labor of the fat activism movement because I have no problem seeing mutual aid requests every single day. I have no Mm -hmm. problem seeing that. Mm-hmm. I have created a budget for myself every week and I contribute as much as I can because it mm-hmm. feels really important. Yeah. Um, and when I say as much as I can for anyone listening, that's whatever you decide, there is no right amount. And I think that's really important to say um, a lot of these mutual aid um, requests will say like $1 or $5. Like they really mean come at me, everybody, mm-hmm. like everyone join in, like this is a community effort. Um, and I think that's a really important way to engage. Um, I feel like I called past me in about how I didn't see uh, mutual aid before <laughs> and I was just recognizing some growth in myself. So if there was a particular like tension sense, that was me talking to past me <laughs> <laughs> because I have learned that I I've it. made mistakes and I have learned that that's not something that I'm like, I know what this is and I know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to make sure that I stayed engaged long enough to learn that right. And be humbled yes. and be called in and called out, mm-hmm. including by myself from the future about the past (laughs) and now in the future. I love that. (laughs) How about you? I think that answer is incredibly great and important. And I agree with you. This is why we compensate our podcast guests. That's first and foremost. Um, I love Patreon for this reason. And um, Mm, I was going to say following, but that's not the right term. Patronizing sounds weird, but supporting, supporting through Patreon um, feels really important to me. And I agree with, I mean, i kind of almost said exactly everything you said there was a uh, past me definitely did not put my money where my mouth is and I'm making much more of an effort to do that um I yeah I think that's the biggest thing this is not for the fat activism movement but I have to say because I know we both do it I think it's incredibly important to pay a land tax where you live so if you are willing to if you're able to I'm going to take that I'm going to Stop with the virtue signaling. If it feels something like it's something important for you, there are ways to find out how to pay a monthly land tax. Um, yes. Not trying and to virtue will, signal or yeah. tell people how to do this in a moral imperative way, but this is important to me. I'll yeah. just say that. I'm so glad you brought that up um, because 
I learned this from a Seattle organization mm-hmm. where they do it um, in the Seattle area. It's relatively new to the area where we are, which is the land of the Kiwa speaking people in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, right, it's colonized land, and just looking up and acknowledging where you sit as a colonizer did not sit well with me the whole time. So I was on a hunt. It was hard yes. to find. <laughs> it was really I found really it hard on to your find. page. That's yeah, the I was like, I ended up doing it. I've been so ever since I found it, I like put it everywhere. I put it in every yes. bio, and that's not mm-hmm. again to virtue signal because I want people to know that exists. Because it took me a exactly. really long time of searching. I was mm-hmm. like, why don't we pay them? But I didn't mm-hmm. know who them would be in this situation, mm-hmm. or were they asking for it, or were people trying to funnel it to them, and was that a trustworthy source? It's like yes. there was a lot to figure out. Um, mm-hmm. But these taxes go directly to people who have been disenfranchised from their land. Right, their land mm-hmm. has been colonized, and they have been pushed off it. And these mm-hmm. are the descendants of those people. So yeah. it operates as a form of like a rent, right? That we compensate. I mean, it's a small, it's still a small thing. It's a tiny little thing mm-hmm. um, to pay this rent or land tax for being over here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels important to acknowledge that happened and to keep acknowledging it happened by offering something. Yes. That yes. feels really important. Thank you for saying that. It, and it is a form of mutual aid. They said, yeah. help us. We're not okay over here. Yeah. And I never said thank you. Like I did, I did, I remember finding it on, I don't even know why I was looking at your bio, probably because I needed to update mine. (laughs) 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 And I was like, what did she write? I'm going to, I'm going to use some of this. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited you found this because I too had looked extensively and like could not find anything. So I'm really grateful for that. I think one thing this isn't exactly financial, this isn't financial compensation, but I think it's also really important if we are, I mean, I'm not active on social media, but if I, you know, every once in a while I am, I'm directing everything I'm talking about, everything I'm learning about to someone who deserves this compensation, someone who's done this work, someone I'm quoting. I think that's a way to center those conversations too. Yeah. uh, Resharing information, Mm -hmm. even if you Mm -hmm. can't contribute something financially in that moment has a lot of value. Mm-hmm. especially with the bullshitty nasty algorithms of things owned by what is it called now meta whatever that meta? is but, <laughs> but that's almost all of our social media um totally. so that that feels um important too and i don't want yeah. to make i i focused on compensation because that was the question and yeah. i don't want to diminish amplifying messages so people mm-hmm. that can contribute have the ability to do so absolutely yeah, yeah both I- of those feel really important they really, really do. Yeah. Okay. So our last question of this <laughs> intro episode. We're already dancing. <laughs> we love reading. Yep. Um, and we we're both on the Fat Girl Book Club podcast. And we also interviewed Jen Radke this season, who is the host of that podcast. Oh, that's where you saw my bio. Because it was, you know, it oh. shows her social media. That's what it was. That's what I, it was. I included it in that. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> So how do you feel that reading or bibliotherapy, a word that I love and I'm stealing from you, can help those (laughs) moving towards embodiment or toward embodiment? What is a book you suggest everyone read about body liberation? The hardest question there is, is the last one. Um, How long you got? But I'm going to start with the first question. I think that reading or bibliotherapy can really help those moving toward embodiment because I think that uh, first books can be really accessible to some people in a way that 
other things might not be. Um, there are public libraries. There mm. are, like, I haven't been to the public library in forever, but I use my library card to, like, get things on my Kindle or that kind of thing. So it's, it's really accessible that way. Um, I think that some of us, you know, there's certain people who learn better by reading, but what I really think it can do is, especially in those memoirs, it can really mm. help you see yourself. Um, there's so many out there that have been, you know, mm. Mm-hmm. important to what I've learned about embodiment. Yeah. Like your whole pile. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at my piles. <laughs> Mine's on the other side of the computer. Um, and so I think that's really helpful both in those memoirs and also books that just get really steeped in the theory. I love reading. I mean, I love, 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 love it. I think that at least for me, that is the best way for me to learn about anything, let alone embodiment. A book I would suggest. Oh my. The hardest part of this question. I feel like I have at least five that are popping up already. And I said I was going to write this down and I didn't. Of course not. Um, Belly of the Beast, obviously. I concur. Um, yes. The Body is Not an Apology, which I just read and reviewed I on my concur. own podcast. Um, I'm trying to think of a memoir that really... Oh, unashamed, which I never told you I read, but oh my Lord. <laughs> Right. Oh my lord. Yes, um, by, Le- by Leah Brown. Yep. Yes. Leah Vernon. I mean Vernon. <laughs> I don't know what made me say Brown. Leah Vernon. I don't know. Um that one. And then okay, I don't really have to have five. So those are the first ones that are coming to mind. I mm-hmm. think that there's some lighter ones out there that are just uh really nice. Um that sounds so patronizing, but I mean just like a little bit lighter. They're easier to get into. They're not as steeped in the theory. There aren't as many kind of calls to action, which some people might not be ready for. Mm. Um, yeah, it can be intense to learn about a new thing and then also have correct. a lot to do about it. Some of us yeah. need more time. I would be one of those people. Yeah, same. I started with same. all the lightest and fluffiest things I could find yeah. in the beginning of my exploration about the word body image, which I actually don't use yes. that, that phrase totally. that much anymore, but I just needed mm-hmm. lighter things because mm-hmm. wow. When you look at the theory, it's really hard to read. <laughs> it's like too much for me. Oh yeah. my gosh. It's so much. And so one that's coming to mind, but I, I've read it so long ago. I don't actually know if it's a lighter one, so I might be wrong, but, um, Virgie Tovar's book is coming to mind. You have the right to remain fat, but I actually don't remember. It might be deeper. I just can't remember. It's been that Mm. long. Mm. I also really liked body positive power, but that was like a hundred years ago. And that's very light. So that could be really fun. So, and so um, is Sophie Hagen's book, which is not coming to mind the title right now. Oh, Landwill. No, so, that's just bigger. Yes. No, that's just no, bigger. Oh, no, just... Actually, I like that book too. I do too. Um, <laughs> as as beginner, stick your toes in. Um, yeah. I can't remember. Well, we'll put it in the show notes. I don't know why I can't. I swear it's just right there. Sophie Higgin is um farts. <laughs> it's oh, gonna come to right mind. If I did, I'd be able to come up with the title. It's over here, yeah. back behind me. Oh, yes. But I think. Uh, something I really enjoyed that really felt really, I'm trying to narrow it down to one. If there's one book to read, I would probably say The Body is Not an Apology. I think. Ooh, but as soon as I said that, I was like, no, Belly and the the Beast. So I said that at the same time. Mm. I don't know. Your turn. (laughs) So those two books (laughs) are probably my two number ones. Yes. I'm holding Mm -hmm. up Belly and the Beast right now because it's the closest thing I had to me. Um, Because there's so much to get out of each and every sentence. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that just makes for a special book for both of those. Agreed. Um, Belly of the Beast for like rage and burning it all to the ground. And Body is Not an Apology for mourning and grief and being like, okay, but what do I need now? Both of those. Yeah. So yeah, those two, just echoing what you said. Um, mm-hmm. It's rare that I start with any other two. A person yeah. who's on our podcast this season. Yes. Joy Renee Cox, <laughs> Fat Girls in Black Bodies. Yes. Yes. Um, especially to find community amongst the pages. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, a person who is not in that community to feel honored and humbled to get to read it um and really um present to things that I knew intellectually but now I think I have a I love the I love reading and now I feel like I have a different sense of like I have the beginnings of what that might feel like in my person to be related um and understanding um, it was an honor to read truly. Mm-hmm. And I would say my book of the moment, which I'm on a second read in a row is fat and queer an anthology mm-hmm. of queer and trans bodies and lives. So it's an edited mm-hmm. version. There's essays in here. Um, again, really similar to what I was just saying with Joy Cox, Dr. Joy Cox book is, just, but I surprised myself how much I found myself in these pages. I have a lot ah. to think about. Um, and also um, things that I didn't know about, um, heard about. Um, I feel like I have unlearning to do. That's why I'm reading it again. Um, there were some really beautiful and poetic, subtle things in some of the essays in here that I just hadn't conceptualized. So I think that's amazing. And decolonizing. I was going to bring that up. by Dahlia Kinsey, who, which is amazing. It's my um, next book to read. I'm so excited. Jen Radke, who was our guest, loves talking about the worksheets that are in this book. That you can do things at your own pace. I I'm just really sitting with the way things are phrased. Language to mm. me in this book, the way things are distinguished, is very important. Speaking of directionality, um, love this one for that. Yeah. So I also didn't summarize or do less. I just echoed yours and added some. Um, <laughs> we, so you'll hear when we do this episode um, with Jen, <laughs> that we, t- we all have lots of answers because we all love to read. So oh, I have a question. You didn't yeah. answer how reading your bibliotherapy can help those oh, moving toward your body. Oh, I think you, you just got exci- so excited about I that. I did. I did. I got so excited. <laughs> um, I, like you, like to read my way into knowing something. Uh, Listening my way into knowing things takes me a lot longer. Like my brain does not process it like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I use audiobooks sometimes for the first time through, but it's not the same as reading. So I always try to get myself to read whenever I can. Mm -hmm. Um, My nervous system will have a different view about that sometimes, but that's always what I'm trying to do. Um, It also feels like something I mentioned in those books is it feels like you can connect with people. You can like visceral sensations in your body Mm -hmm. about what's going on for someone else because it's like fully living in your imagination in that moment. Mm-hmm. even though it's about someone else, there's just something very special about that. Um, like there's no like TV interview, even a podcast interview that would actually touch mm. that for my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like podcasts and TV interviews and listening to things audibly are just a, like an invitation for me to go read. <laughs> That's totally, how they usually totally, show up. Totally, 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 totally. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I've been in a lot of therapy. <laughs> 
for a lot of years. Um, and I love book recommendations from other people. And this is like about any topic, even like a fantasy book. I yeah. always get something out of someone telling me to read something. <gasps> oh, like always. Oh, that's exciting. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> the act of being able to talk with someone about something you have both read. Oh, that's like, that's my shit. I don't, know, I, I don't know how to say that any other way. Absolutely my shit. Yes, <laughs> <my> absolutely. Shit. <laughs> is that a phrase? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a phrase, but that's, that's my, my shit. shit. Oh, totally um, is. <laughs> yeah, that, that right there is like, mm-hmm. you know, and something that comes kind of close is like a TV show that everyone's mm. really into. Like you and I might talk about, um, uh, oh my God, they've all evaporated from my mind. Succession. Succession, um, thank you, thank you. I was like, oh my God. I know there the are office, more, but that's the, the only office, one. The office, succession, mm-hmm. um, like being able to share. Like, yeah. Yes, yes. There really is a kind of community about those things. Yes. Movies as well. Um, they become something that's tangible to share mm. about things that are important to each of us. And there's just mm-hmm. some kind of resonance in that act that's different than any other gift giving or receiving it's or true. reading on your own even. Like there's just, so I get a lot out of that. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot. So I mentioned my next one I'm going to read. What's your next one that you're going to read about body mm. liberation? What's your plan? Um, I have always been meaning to read this. Um, being almost 40 oh. and coming to these ages. And I have, I have a lot of people in my life who I have conversations about these things, yeah. with, which is very menopause and many, many pause, menopause, many pause. It's called, it's called <laughs> what fresh hell is this? by Heather Corinna. I love that. <laughs> I love the title. Perimenopause, menopause, other indignities, and you. I mean, it's an amazing, um, it's an amazing cover and title. This has like emotional, so I already flipped through it. It has emotional stuff. It has fact stuff. It has, um, context stuff. I mean, it's just like pretty amazing. Just like from a yeah. flip through, I was like, I cannot wait. Oh, I love it. This, so I pumped. bought it because of the book title. Uh, but yeah. it's been recommended <laughs> to me many times. Nice, nice. This is a hard topic to find books about as well, especially mm. when they talk in a way that's supportive of all bodies. Super, super rare. Huh. Please that's keep reading. That sounds fun. Nice. And I'm reading uh, Decolonizing Wellness because it's been on my Kindle forever. <laughs> well, not really since it came out last month. I bought it <laughs> and I just haven't gotten to it. So I am looking forward to it. I love books. I could talk about this all the time. Me too. Forever. <laughs> Forever and ever. These are like my right now answers. So when yes. this airs, I'll probably, which is just like a month from now, I'm probably going to have Same. different answers. Oh, less Same. than a month. I'm going to have different answers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, the Not book for the- is, oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm so sorry. Not for the first two though. I probably won't change yes. those. Yes. Also, the book is Happy Fat by Sophie Hagen. I had to look it yes. up. Yes. Because it yes. was going to bother me if I didn't know so now I know I appreciate that yes yes sometimes yes. I really enjoy and being... she's funny yeah she's she very is. funny I laughed really hard um sometimes I really enjoy being steeped in you know body neutrality stuff but not having to list, like always read the heavier stuff so it's a nice like it's really nice sometimes to do that so I appreciate that a lot yes <laughs> it's like and a cozy all... mystery instead of a, a procedural you know like exactly <laughs> yes so, and I was yeah. gonna say all these books that we're talking about I'm a multiple books at one time person 
you can't, I can't. <laughs> I am shaking my head. Absolutely not. <laughs> and I do them at different times of day. For example, these books ah. we've mentioned, I don't read them at night. I can't, I'll wake up and I'll be in, I'll sit in the anger of something and stay up all night until it's done. Or I'll sit yeah. in the confusion of something until it's done. Like whatever, kind of, I just, I, so I do fantasy at night. Oh, I love like, fantasy. like yeah. science fiction, fantasy, anything like that. Mysteries. I know you love mysteries. I do. Um, those kinds of things that just yeah. give my brain a, a checkout moment versus yeah. a tuning in Same. right before I go to sleep. It's really dysregulating for me. So yeah. yeah, I usually I read a cozy, stodgy British mystery at the end of the night for sure. I guess I do do that. So I like will read a chapter of something heavier, something that like has to do with the work that I do. Mm. And then I just get into like some stodgy British stuff at the end of the night. I love it. Yeah. I will never get to the next thing if I started at night. Like there's like a certain cutoff. Like I actually go into my room (laughs) at night and I'm by myself for hours. I've made this a practice in this pandemic. It's been very important to me. But one of them is these kind of books cannot touch that space. They're not even allowed in my room. They're in a different room. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because I'll, I'm just like, I want to know. I have to know. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love this too. Are we done? We are. That was so much fun. I, it is. It always is. Yeah. Even I'm about really hard excited. topics that made us a little uncomfy sometimes. So good. I'm so excited for season two to come out throughout the, se- the rest of the year. Um, yes. I think we had some amazing interviews and yes. uh, I definitely have been changed by a few of them. So I really, I really can't wait for other people to hear it. Yay! Yay! Tune in. They'll be coming out every two weeks. See you soon. Thank you. Yay, thanks. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for listening to season two of the Embodiment for the Rest of Us podcast. Episodes will be published every two weeks-ish, because let's be real here, (laughs) wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find the podcast at our website, embodimentfortherestofus.com, and follow us on social media on both Twitter at Embodiment Us and on Instagram at Embodiment for the Rest of Us. We look forward to being with you again next time in conversation. Bye.